Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thursday afternoon, here we go. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky, thanks for being with us. C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Bull. There's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. So here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. Cspire.com. Glad to have you along. Again, the number is 601-879-4395. Boys, have you watched any golf today? I have, yeah. The broadcast just started, but I did find a pirated stream online because I certainly wasn't going to pay for that and uh, watched it for a little bit. It's been on Golf Channel since like 11 this morning. Was it? I thought the broadcast didn't begin until now. No, they uh, they had Golf Channel carrying it. They just handed it off to oh. uh, like part two of Golf Channel's coverage that's anchored by Jim Nance, all by oh, himself so like the in real... the tower at 18. Oh. Well, I watched a pirated feed, I guess, just because. Yeah. It was, uh, i got to be honest with you, the whole no fans thing has not bothered me one iota. It sounds a little bit different. It doesn't look all that different to me. I mean, yes, you don't have spectators around, but the, uh, the golf has been pretty good, some pretty good scores as well. We'll look at the leaderboard coming up in just a couple of minutes or maybe a little bit later, uh, but certainly we'll keep an eye on the leaderboard. As uh, competitive golf has returned to the PGA Tour, they're playing in Fort Worth at Colonial Country Club, historic venue there that was the home course of the great Ben Hogan. And uh, it's pretty spectacular, 88 degrees and sunny with low humidity in Fort Worth. Not bad in uh, the second week of June. Brian Haydad, what's up on a Thursday? Not much. I haven't watched any golf, so, you know. I'm, I apologize for that. I would be behind the curve on this particular show, I guess. Are you boycotting or just No, no, just, I've, I've been busy today. I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch TV. Tell you what was on last night that had plenty of intrigue was the uh, Major League Baseball draft. First time that it has had the platform that it uh, had last night. Only a five-round draft, which makes it a little bit easier from a television standpoint. We've had it on MLB Network in years gone by. Last night, ESPN carrying, what, three and a half hours of the first round. Second round is going to be on both MLB Network and ESPN2, starting a little less than an hour from right now. And I was thinking about how to say this, hey, Dad. I want to say, depending on your perspective, 
a great day yesterday for Mississippi State. I'm not sure that's fair, though. I think it was a really good day for Mississippi State baseball regardless. The only reason that I say, depending on your perspective, if you wanted great players coming back next year or joining the program for the first time, you're going to have some of that, but you lost some studs yesterday if you are a Mississippi State baseball fan in terms of both guys that were already on the team and one in particular that was committed to come and play. Yeah, but I think anybody who you know follows Mississippi State baseball or any of our great listeners on the Thunder and Lightning podcast will tell you, you expected those guys to be gone. You expected Absolutely. Uh, Westberg and Foskey to be first-round picks. Foskey went a little higher than I thought he would. He, he started rising yesterday. Uh, there were, like I, I think I said yesterday there was some hype that the Giants might take him at 13. I was excited about that because they could certainly use a power bat. Um and then Hendrick, I mean, when he committed to Mississippi State, he actually committed to Canazero. That's how long he's been on a Mississippi hmm. State commitment. And, uh, I mean, he was already the number one high school player in the country at, at that time. Uh, so, you know, him going pro was not, not a huge surprise. Today's the day to watch for Mississippi State what happens with JT Ginn, what happens with Blaze Jordan, and what happens with, uh, with Tanner Allen. That, 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 that's, now we're talking about guys that could really affect what you're looking at in 2021. Yeah, and JT, again, I was looking at one kind of best available list. They've got him as the third best available player. Expect him to go relatively early in the second round. Tanner Allen's name is a name that has kind of picked up some steam over the last week or so. I don't know if that's because he's kind of made it known that he would be willing to sign maybe even at a value level for teams, or they've just decided they really like what he brings, especially in terms of the bat. I mean, great hitter. Led MSU in hitting a season ago, hit almost 360 on a College World Series team. Uh, you know, good player can play as we've seen now, can play in the infield or the outfield. So he's got some versatility um, and looks just like Chipper Jones. So maybe that's working for him too. I think I think you're right though, Richard. I think he may have made a, a made it clear to some some agents, some people in, in MLB that hey, I'm, I'm signable. I'm signable if I get the right offer. So. You know, yeah. the opposite of that it might be for Ginn because you know Ginn turned down what two point three coming out of high school and now he's in the range where you know maybe somebody goes over slot a little bit but he's probably in the one eight one nine range so that, that he's the one that I, I'm sort of the most interested to see what happens with him. Yeah, but you know, given the road that he's had to this point, uh, you you might just look at it and say, okay, you got to cut your losses a little bit. Yes, it's it might be time three, to cash four, five hundred thousand dollars less than it was two years ago, but it's time to uh, time to cash in. Uh, Vorky, the last thing I said before we finished the show yesterday was MLB drafts about to start. Spoiler alert: Spencer Torkelson's going one, and Austin Martin's going two. I was wrong. But so was almost everybody else that predicted the draft order. You did have Torkelson go number one. Power bat, he was drafted by Detroit, not as a first baseman like we thought. They actually drafted him as a third baseman. Slot value for being the number one overall pick in the draft that got started yesterday, $8.42 million. And then a surprise at number two. Uh, A lot of people thought Austin Martin instead, the Baltimore Orioles, went with Heston Kerstad, the outfielder for Arkansas, who is a power left bat, a left-handed bat. There was some question about whether or not the strikeout totals were worrisome, but the Orioles decided to uh, look at the power side of things and kind of the projectability of what he could do for them for a really long time. And in the Major League Baseball world that we live in right now, teams don't worry about strikeouts. I was the just value gonna... of home runs over the... 
detriment of strikeouts, everybody's okay with that. I was just going to ask you that. I saw that same criticism last night, and I kept thinking, well, how are I don't watch Major League Baseball that much. How do you guys not understand that high strikeout rates is not something they even care about, that they almost encourage it anymore? Why is that a talking point in the negative direction for a player when that's what the league is? That's like saying in the NBA draft, oh, this guy's six foot ten and can shoot the three. I don't know if he can bang down low, though. I don't think he's good enough to be drafted. Like, what? That's what the league is now. Yeah, you're exactly right. Maybe a little bit of surprise that the uh, Marlins went with Max Meyer, the left-hander, I'm sorry, the right-hander, at 6 feet and 185 pounds out of the University of Minnesota, as opposed to taking Asa Lacey, who ended up going one pick later out of Texas A&M. Asa Lacey coming at you from the left side and 6'4", 215. Max Meyer, though, just gas hit 100 miles an hour uh, several times early this season. Maybe that's what they like the most. Both of those guys, nice little bumps to their bank accounts at uh, $7.22 million for Max Meyer in terms of slot value. Asa Lacey, $6.6 million. Austin Martin comes off the board to the Blue Jays with the fifth pick of the draft. And all of a sudden, in terms of position players on the infield, Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays in their organization, both at the big league club and now in drafting Austin Martin as high as they did, they have an embarrassment of riches with uh, just a bunch of really good, young, uh, in multiple cases, legacy players in the the big leagues. It's pretty impressive. You get uh, Emerson Hancock. Sorry, go ahead. It's not going to stop anytime soon either, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, big day for Mississippi State. Justin Foscue goes 14th overall, one pick later than your San Francisco Giants. Hey, Dad. Uh, he goes to the Texas Rangers, and the slot value for his pick is just a hair over $4 million. And then with the final pick of the, uh, well, it was actually the first supplemental pick, so it wasn't the final pick of the first round. It was technically a competitive balance pick, but 30th. Overall, you get uh, Jordan Westberg going as uh, as well, and just a really uh, good day for him. Slot value there, pretty significant drop from number 29 at the end of the first round to the first uh, competitive balance pick. $2.37 million, still a lot of money, and uh, an exciting day for him and for his family. I can't help but think, you know, with everything we heard about Westberg this summer and how he did really well in the Cape League, He's a guy that if the season had played out and he had developed a little bit more and shown a little more consistency at the plate, I know that you you know you just said about strikeout, but they would have liked to see a little bit more power from him. I mean, he hits the ball hard, but can he hit the ball out? He's a guy who could have been a top 10 pick, I think, had he played the season and had the season he was capable of having. First round in the competitive balance picks of MLB looked a lot like the NFL draft. A whole lot from the SEC. Kerstad from Arkansas, Lacey from Texas A&M, Austin Martin from Vanderbilt, Emerson Hancock from Georgia, Garrett Crochet from Tennessee, Justin Foscue from Mississippi State, and then you get into those extra picks. We mentioned uh, Westberg from Mississippi State as well. Uh, Carmen Majinski from South Carolina goes with the uh, second CBA pick. And then you get Tanner Burns going at 36 to uh, Cleveland out of Auburn. Heck of a first day of the MLB draft for the SEC.
course of today, the return of competitive golf at Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth. Charles Schwab Challenge. Course record on the 7,200-yard par 70 is 61. It's been shot seven times through the years. Justin Rose goes out in the morning and shoots a 7-under par 63. He is the leader in the clubhouse. Three guys at 6-under par, Jonathan Vegas and Abraham Anser, both shooting 64s this morning. Harold Varner III still on the golf course. He is 6-under through 12, so putting up uh, pretty impressive red numbers early. Big group at 5-under par, including Brian Harmon, Bryson DeChambeau, Gary Woodland, Daniel Berger, Adam Hadwin, and Tom Lehman. The uh, the Texan, Tom Lehman, going out and shooting a 5-under 65. Sung J.M. shoots 4-under. So does Cameron Champ, a former champion at the Sanderson Farms Championship in Jackson. Ian Poulter shoots 4-under par. And uh, then you got a bunch of guys on the course right now in red number. 77 players in total uh, under par in the first round out of a field of 148 golfers. Uh, Justin Thomas has played flawless golf so far. He is four under through ten on his round. Not going to bore you with the entire uh, leaderboard at this point, but uh, top five players in the world. And Borky, a statistic that I saw yesterday that is just absolutely remarkable. 148 players in the field. 101 of the 148 players have won on the PGA Tour. Wow. That is incredible. We knew the field going into it was going to be good. I didn't realize it, w- it was going to be that good. And that kind of leads to what we were talking about a few weeks ago is that, uh, I mean, even the fall swing is probably going to have uh, better fields than you usually get because of the few-month hiatus on top of the tournaments that are going to be mixed in, in the fall. So this is really good. Next week, the field at Harbortown is usually not that great. I think all five of the top five in the world are going to be there as well. So um, for it being the only sport, uh, okay, NASCAR, the only um, like field sport, if you will, uh, not involving a car, uh, f- to be the only one, really good fields uh, for the next few weeks until everything else starts coming back. And you mentioned the field at Harbortown. I mean, normally that tournament is the week after the Masters. So you have some guys, I- I'm right about that, right? Yes, you are right. It's the weekend uh, yeah. after, the, or yeah, the weekend after the Masters, and and the guys that do show up kind of treat that as like a laid back. You know, I play, but you don't really grind in that tournament. It's more take the family to the beach and chill kind of uh, vibe there, and they don't exactly attract the best names in the sport the week after the Masters. And this year's a completely different story. Yeah, you got a bunch of top names that uh, that take the week off there. That is a big party tournament as well. The uh, the events surrounding the uh, tournament, they, they get started with Monday after the Masters, and then it uh, kind of goes crazy from there. So they're going to play at Harbortown next week in Hilton Head. Then they'll go up to Cromwell, Connecticut for the Travelers Championship. Uh, then head to Detroit for 4th of July weekend. They'll play the Rocket Mortgage Classic there. And then they will be in... Um, they will be in uh, in Dublin, Ohio, playing at Mirfield in back-to-back weeks. So the PGA Tour replaced the John Deere Classic uh, with another tournament uh, that is happening at Memorial. So you'll have Jack's tournament uh, the weekend of July 16th through the 19th, but another tournament there the week before. Uh, a couple of weeks after that, they go to Memphis, TPC Southwind for the FedEx, uh, the World Golf Championship, FedEx St. Jude Invitational. 
PGA Championship right now still scheduled to be played at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. And I don't know if you saw the news yesterday or not, um, but California, as of yesterday, said professional sports can happen in stadiums with no spectators. So that's pretty significant movement in California over the course of the last whole oh, month, six weeks, month and a cup, certainly the last couple of months, and and maybe significant for the PGA Championship. Yeah, so much movement. It's kind of funny. My my wife watches. I think it's called the Today Show um, with Hoda Cut Cutby. Anyway, Cutby. Um, they ran a story. I mean, these are back to back this morning where. There's a new data analyst. Hey, Dad, you seem intrigued by this. You 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 want to know where this I'm, is I'm going? I'm intrigued that he's like, like. I think it's called the Today Show. No, I mean, it's, it's called like, the Today Show. I, I but it's I either think it's today called or sixty minutes. Good I don't, morning, I've never, America. I've never watched. Uh, there's yeah. a handful of them. I think it's it's the Today. Good morning, show America's on ABC. Today Show's yeah. on NBC, and then you've got CBS this morning. So yeah. there you go. Well, they ran. I mean, stories. Uh, there there was story commercial break. The next story. The first one was. Uh, second wave of coronavirus is here. 100,000 more people are going to die. Everybody should go back to doing what they were doing a few months ago. It's awful. And then they go to commercial break and come back. Hey, the PGA Tour's back. How is how exciting is this? We get sports again. Everything's great. It's like, uh, w- which one's true here? Because you just said that 100,000 more people are going to die and we should all shut it down. And then now you're telling me that it's awesome that we're playing sports again. Pick one. Well, can't both be true? I mean, so 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 the reality is some of the measures that put in place uh, were put in place caused the severity and the death rates and the pressure on hospitals to be less than was predicted. And that was a good thing, and we should celebrate that. And probably because of those measures, um, it was better. But you've got epidemiologists out there who are really smart people that say, the longer we contain this virus, or the better we contain this virus, the longer it's going to hang around. Just because you contain it doesn't mean it's going to go away. It's eventually going to spread. And that's why we're seeing the spike in numbers. I mean, you saw a big number in the state of Mississippi yesterday. You're seeing big numbers in Tennessee. You're seeing big numbers in Arkansas, which is the state that was really applauded for doing a better job than any in limiting the outbreak numbers. But the deal is this. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. I am certainly not a rocket scientist. But when you open things back up, you're going to have higher virus totals. You're going to have more positive test results. It's just going to happen. And it has to happen. And it's fascinating to me that you have governors that are saying, yes, we are aware that the positive test rates are spiking. And maybe there's a second wave that's coming. But nobody is talking about shutting everything down again. And you can't. You can't shut down everything again. You can't do that to the economy, to the small business community, to the big business community, to the stock market, to people. You can't just stop life again. We've just got to deal with it and be as smart as we possibly can. And... I applaud college football programs all over the country. Because remember remember when we were talking about football coming back, what was the one thing that we said was inevitable? Positive test. It was going to happen. 
nobody has panicked. You know why? Because they recognized in coming back there were going to be positive tests and they put a plan in place. Nobody's panicking, which is good. It's really good. And we're just going to continue to plug along. That's what I believe. Maybe, look, I mean, who knows? Maybe I and others and you guys were all proven wrong and this turns into just a disaster. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we're just going to rock along. I hope so. I just it, When you have a couple of players on a team, it, things were different in March than they will be in September. But Rudy Gobert, one guy, and then his teammate a couple of days later, but one guy shut down everything. I mean, everything. What happens if Patrick Mahomes tests positive for coronavirus in first week of October? Does the same thing happen? Does everything just, all sports just immediately shut down again? That's my fear is, even though they were all prepared for it, uh, Ole Miss had some positive tests. I haven't seen an official word from Mississippi State, hey, Dad. I assume they're going to have one if they haven't announced it. They um, haven't announced it, but I, I, I would agree with you that there should be one eventually. Alabama had a handful of them. I, it, everybody's had one. But it's different now when you're, they're not playing games. What happens when a big star tests positive for it in, in October? Is, is it handled differently than the way they're going about it right now? That's my biggest fear, is that the right or wrong, depending on how you look at it, positive, will shut everything down again. That's just what I'm afraid I would, of. I don't think it should. I would submit to you that there is a segment of the population a segment of the leadership population that would be okay with that because they believe it would be politically advantageous to have to go through another shutdown, which is a really, really sad analysis. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, Borky, your, your hypothesis there is dead on. I just don't, I don't see it happening. I don't think the business community and people writ large are going to go along with that. Maybe not anymore after they saw what the first wave of shutdowns did to most everybody's economic status. Well, and I think our healthcare system has figured out how to deal with it as well. Aaron Fitt is going to join us from D1Baseball.com. We'll talk with him about the first round of the draft and what we should expect tonight with the uh, second and third rounds coming up. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday. First time today on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau from D1Baseball.com. Aaron Fitt joins us uh, right now. As I said to a couple of folks yesterday, we would have enjoyed visiting with you on a regular basis over the last three months, but uh, at least we can visit now. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Certainly have uh, missed visiting with you throughout the baseball season. Hey, asking for a friend here, is four out of the first six picks in the draft from one conference good? (laughs) That's all right, I guess. You know, it's all right. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing year after year how the SEC produces high-end talent like nobody else. I mean, and we see it, you know, every year and never ceases to amaze, really. But uh, uh, this was a historic year. I mean, you know, the first seven picks were from the college ranks, the first time ever. 
Um, and I think that's probably partly a function of the fact that, you know, a lot of these high school kids are higher risk to begin with, and you take away the chances to, to scout them heavily during the spring. If you're picking at the top of the draft, you probably want to go with a lesser risk pick, and that's why I think we saw so many college guys, and in particular SEC players who have proven themselves in the, the best conference in the land. Aaron, certainly there are some high school players that it just makes sense, right? I mean, you, you just look there, and the, the body is mature enough, all of the tools are there, and it just makes sense to take a risk. But is what we saw last night in the first round plus the supplemental picks, is this another feather in the cap of college recruiters pointing to the fact that, look, this is your best route to a high draft pick by MLB? Yeah, I think coming to I college. I think so, and, and it's Especially when you when you think about the way that those guys developed. I mean, a number of those guys at the top of the draft were very lightly recruited um, out of high school, and they turned themselves into you know top ten picks. I mean, Nick Gonzalez was a uh, an unknown, you know, coming out of high school, and you know yeah. Torkelson was was on the map, but he wasn't you know certainly somebody that was going to be regarded as the number one pick kind of a candidate. And um, you know, a, a lot of those guys just really really made themselves a whole lot better, and you know, just the, the facilities that. Uh, college baseball has invested in to, to help these guys get better, um, and, and the quality of the instructors in, in the college game. I mean, you can make a really good living as an assistant coach in a, at a power conference school that you really can as an instructor in pro ball. Were you surprised that uh, the Orioles went with Heston Kerstad at number two? It felt like almost all of the mock drafts had Austin Martin going there at two, so was that a surprise to you? Yeah, it was a surprise, and it's funny you know, after the pick was made, I said, you know, I, I don't know why we didn't give him more consideration toward the top of the draft because it's a really good power bat. I mean, uh, I think the power tools right up there with Torkelson for, for best in this class. And, um, you know, he came out and performed really well in the first month of the season. It's a small sample size, but the guy's performed for three years, you know, and I think yeah. the only reason that he was lower down a lot of draft lists, and by lower, I mean, you know, 10 to 15 range, uh, was because of the, the swing and miss tendencies that he's had. But, Everybody in the big leagues strikes out a ton now, you know, and it's teams are willing to take that trade off if you hit 35, 40 home runs, and, and he, he can do that. I think he's got that kind of upside. So even though it was maybe a little bit of a surprise pick to basically everybody, I don't think it was a bad pick at all. I think in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that kind of makes a lot of sense. A couple of names from Mississippi State that we've been looking at over the uh, the last couple of months, really, till you know, leading up to this draft, Justin Foscue and, and Jordan Westberg, and Foscu goes as a, a first rounder, and then Westberg is the uh, first competitive balance pick. What do you see from these guys as they make the transition to pro ball? What, what's the path like for for jo- Justin Foscu in particular to get to the big leagues? Well, I think Foscu is going to move really fast. You know, he's for my money is one of the most polished hitters in the country, and um, you know, just a really gifted natural hitter. I, I love how mature his approach is. Clearly, he's got strength in his swing. You know, he can drive the ball, but he's also just a, a patient hitter who's very selective in the zone. And those are the kind of guys that can fly through minor league systems. I think he can be there pretty quickly. And I made this, this comparison on Twitter, but I, I see a lot of Justin Turner in him. You know, I mean, a, another guy that's mm. kind of a compact frame that Turner was, was much more lightly regarded coming out of college. I mean, he was a seventh round senior sign out of Cal State Fullerton. But, you know, second base, third base kind of profile like Foscue. And, uh, a grinder and just a, a fundamentally sound player uh, who who had a nice flat swing and controlled the zone. I mean, that sounds pretty familiar when you're talking about Justin Foscue. Do you think the move 
taking him and putting him at second base helped him in this draft, or, or do you think at this point of the yeah. draft uh, teams are looking at offense way more than they are defense? I think it did help him. I mean, for sure, you know, up the middle players have more value than, than corner guys, and of course the the ability that he has to play second base or third base gives him even more value. But um, he maybe doesn't fit the traditional profile of of your you know power hitting third baseman. And again, not that he doesn't have power, but uh, that's not his carrying tool. I, I think the hit tool is the carrying tool, and really, it's a, it's a perfect offensive second base kind of a profile. All right, tell me about JT again. Uh, I was looking at uh, at one projection said he's the third best player available on the board. How early will he go when we start the second round tonight? And uh, is there any question at your mind in your mind that he does go the MLB route and and does not come back to Mississippi State? I would still be pretty surprised if he came back to school. Now, I mean, you know, it depends how far he slips, but um, you know, considering there won't be a minor league season this year, so if he signs, he won't really be missing anything while he, he recovers from surgery. And by the time he's back next year, it'll be just in time for the season to get revved up. So he could kind of spend the year, you know, rehabbing uh, with a pro organization. I think that that trajectory makes a lot of sense for him, and certainly a guy that's already been a first round pick. Um, you know, he's, he's a proven commodity. Um, I think somebody's gonna gonna take a shot at him really early here on the second day of the draft, and uh, and, I, and I just think it would make too much sense for him to sign at this point. You know, he's, he's already kind of done what he needed to do, prove himself in college. Uh, now he's got the injury thing that maybe clouds his status just a little bit. I think at this point, you know, you, you can take your seven figure bonus and and, uh, and and run with it. Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball on your radio, D1Baseball.com covers the college game. We're talking draft right now. When's Anthony Servideo's name going to be called, Aaron? I, I think he'll probably go, you know, around round three or four. I mean, which is a, a big jump for him from heading into the season where he wasn't even necessarily a consensus top ten rounder, you know. But that's one of the guys that, that I think helped himself more than anyone else in the country in the, in the shortened season that we had. I mean, uh, he's always been able to really defend. Of course, he can run really well. Um, you know, you love the defense, but the question mark heading the season was, is there any impact with the bat? And he clearly got a lot stronger. Um, I love the, the bat-to-barrel, you know, instincts that he has, but the fact that he showed off some, some sneaky strength and some whip in that swing, I mean, for, for a smaller-framed guy to hit some home runs early in the year and show that he can pull the ball with some authority, uh, that opened my eyes, and I think it opened a lot of scouts' eyes, too. So I, I think he's played himself into the top three or four rounds. All right, so so interesting. You, you you and others have said probably played himself into this spot. You don't know how the rest of the season would have gone, but if he had had an entire season and had continued on or about the pace that he was on for the first quarter of the season, could he have played himself into the second round or maybe even to the the back end of the first round? I think there's certainly a shot. You know, I really do. You, you hmm. see that every year where these, especially middle infielders, premium position guys, shortstops. You know, and he's a true shortstop. Um, if they perform, you know, against really good competition, they climb. And he didn't have a chance to, to face SEC pitching this year. And so, um, you know, if you had any kind of reservations about the bat, you know, you might still wonder a little bit if, if it was a mirage, what he did in the first month. But, I mean, I think scouts, you know, have broken down video on him over and over again in just the, the first four weeks that we had. And um, I think that, uh, you know, he, he definitely helped himself. He could have helped himself more if there had been a full season. Aaron, last thing, Tyler Keenan at Ole Miss, do you think his name ultimately is called in these five rounds, or do you think uh, that doesn't happen and he ends up back at Oxford next year? 
Yeah, I think he'll get picked, too. I, I see him as maybe a second or third round kind of guy. Just big body power bat. Again, really good feel for the strike zone. And, um, you know, he, he takes short at bats. And, you know, for a big guy, I think he's got a chance to stick at third base. I mean, he's, he's much more athletic than maybe you think he is at first glance, as, as you guys know from watching him up close the last few years. But um, he, he runs pretty well for a big guy. And I think he's pretty nimble at the hot corner. So it, it's probably tempting for a lot of scouts to say, well, he's probably a first baseman down the road just when you look at the body type. But I like the way he... he you know, holds himself at the hot corner, and, and I think some scouts really give him a chance. And some team that, that believes in his defense that, that he can stick at third base will probably take him in the, in the second or third round. It's certainly going to be interesting to see. You may even be a little higher on Tyler Keenan than uh, than some of the other folks that uh, are, yeah. are kind of in the draft analyst business. So we'll uh, we'll see how this thing plays out. Mm-hmm. Aaron, great to talk to you. Really good information. And uh, did, did you enjoy? kind of the bigger platform for the draft last night, getting ESPN and MLB Network, and then we get E2 and, and more MLB Network tonight. Yeah, I thought that was that was cool. You know, it was neat to see. There's nothing else going on, so it makes sense that they that they played it up more than they usually do. But, um, you know, I hope that's a sign of things to come. I think the baseball draft is, is uh, compelling, you know, and I know it, it's hard for the, the casual fan because those guys don't go right from college to the major leagues. There's a little bit of a, a lag time there, but – uh, I think that yeah. college baseball is growing so much in popularity that uh, it's only going to you know, help the draft going forward. Aaron, always good to chat. Thanks for your time this afternoon. All right, always a pleasure. That is Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball, d1baseball.com, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. About 15 minutes away from the start of round two, of the Major League Baseball Draft. Take a quick timeout. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Hey, Dad, got a text message from a friend, Mississippi State baseball fan, and says we're missing something with, with JT Ginn, that he is incredibly headstrong and thinks that he will be back to full strength by, you know, somewhere in the midpoint of next season, and if he doesn't get a significant offer, then it's not crazy at all to think that he comes back to Mississippi State for another year to try and really vault himself into that first round. I wouldn't say we're missing that. I think that's what I said at the beginning of the show that you know it'd be interesting to see what he got. That he you know he's in all likelihood going to see an offer less than what he got two years ago. The only thing that, you know, if you're again, you know, you're coming back from this injury and you're going to have a different role next year. We heard Chris Lamona say it on, on Monday. If, if you're a person, you, you can't expect JT Ginn to be opening day starter for the 2021 season. He's going to be more of a, probably a, of a bullpen role. I think he could be a, a very effective closer if, if you, if you wanted to put him into that role, but it's a gamble. It, you it's think for sure, that's but a role I, I agree with your friend. Go ahead. You, you think that's a role that he would accept back into the bullpen? As a closer, I think so because you know he's got good velocity, and I think he's had to sort of—I don't want to say temper it, but you know you can't go out there as a starter and just punch it ninety-seven, ninety-eight consistently. He he can't do that. He can do it, I think, if he had to do a couple innings at a time. So hmm. possibly, but I, I mean, I agree with your friend that you know he he is the kind of guy who's who's who you've seen it before. He's definitely willing to take the gamble on to, on himself. Sure, which. Ultimately, is what he did coming out of high school. You know, left big money out there and decided to go the college route. 
And you don't see that a ton, but you you are you you know, it feels like you see it once or twice a year. I don't know if we will um will see it this year or not. It would be there more surprising. It, I was just going to say it would be more surprising to see a first round draft pick this year not sign than in a normal year. No doubt. The, the guy that they were mentioning that could be a possibility for that last night, and you'll enjoy this, is the guy who the Red Sox took because he was just not projected as a first rounder and ended up obviously going, I think, with the 18th pick. And th- there was a lot of talk that he is a super, super hard commit to uh, to Arizona, really wanted to go play there. So we'll see what happens there. But something to watch for that sure. That is Nick York. Yeah. Red Sox took him at uh, at number 17. He's out of Archbishop Mitty High School in California, middle infielder. 3.61 million dollars is the slot value for the 17th pick of the draft to go play in the Boston Red Sox organization. You got to really believe in yourself to walk away from that, I would think. Well, and Look, I I don't question anybody's decision. Like, there was a time where I might be like, oh, you got to take that money. No, you don't have to. You got to do what's best for you. In the same way that um, you you start saying, well, you know, anything north of $1.6 million, that's life changing money, and it's absolutely right. that, That decision has to be an individual decision. In the same way that if a kid says, I've done the college thing. I'm draft eligible. I don't love going to class. I love baseball. I'm ready to go play pro ball. Well, they only offered you $114,000. I'm not going to make that first couple of years in the real world. And I believe I can get to the big leagues and turn $114,000 into $14 million one day. think I got a better shot of doing that. And guess what? If I need to get a degree, I can come back and get it. And I can still probably go get the job that I would have gotten otherwise. And I don't like college, once again. So, I'm going to go. I won't, you can't argue with that. I, I, I will have zero judgment for anyone, even this year, that says, I know it's only $20,000, but I want to go play pro baseball. And I kind of get to pick which team I join. Because nobody gets to make an offer bigger than the other. It's just 20000 is the max. And so if my lifelong dream has been to pay, play for the Tampa Bay Rays, <laughs> said nobody ever, or my lifelong dream oh, has right. been to be a Cub or a Cardinal or a Giant or a Yankee or a Blue Jay, and one of those teams says, we would have loved to have drafted you. In a normal year, you would have been a seventh-round pick for us. And you would have gotten more money, but the rules are such that you know we'd love to have you in our organization. Twenty thousand is all we can do. We believe in you. Somebody says, "I want to go chase that dream." Go chase that dream. Zero judgment. Hard, hard to, hard, hard to be frustrated with anybody who says, "I'm going after my dream." Yeah. Regardless of the financial implication. With all that said, Nick York, 
$3.61 million is a lot of money. <laughs> that does it for the first hour of Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Jeff, I feel like we owe you an apology. You send us a message on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, and you say, I was just outside listening to you guys, and I got stung in the eye by wasps and also in the ankle. Is that our fault? Do we have to take blame for that? Or that's just a metaphor for what listening to us feels like. I'm taking it literally, not metaphorically. I'm taking no blame on this one. Okay. Not my fault. Seaspire text line is open. If you're ready for a better phone, Seaspire is here to help. Get up to $700 off top smartphones online when you trade in a device and add a new line. Plus, find options like free same-day delivery and curbside pickup in select locations. You can shop now at Seaspire.com. Um... Robin Hattiesburg sent us uh, a message a bit ago. So the first two weeks of the shutdown was smart, and it allowed hospitals to prepare. Everything since then is senseless. Coronavirus must run its course. The people who have been very isolated have trashed their immune system. I think there's probably something to that. That was what the shutdowns were for. I mean, you remember the rhetoric around them was to ensure that the hospitals don't get overwhelmed, that if we don't do shutdowns for a period of time, uh, the hospitals are going to get overrun and people there won't be enough ventilators. New York asked for them by the tens of thousands, if you remember. And so that's what they were initially for. And then they just kept getting expanded and expanded. And then the goalposts were moved. And then it became... Just one life, which on the surface as a premise is a very noble thing to think, but also that's not why you get 50 million people out of work. It's the goalposts were moved in this entire thing, and that's not discrediting the seriousness of a virus. However, 50, almost 50 million people are out of work, and that could have been in some way in part avoided. Yeah. Richard in Wiggins, with regard to the sting, says that he would have asked to have been stung in the ear so the swelling would help save his sanity. <laughs> uh, hey, Dad, this one's for you. Premier League back next week. That's right. I'm excited. Father's Day. What does Day. COIS mean? Come on, you Spurs. Don't like that guy. Uh-huh. He's a Tottenham not, fan? Uh, he's a Tottenham fan. I, I already replied to him. Uh, yes. Yeah, Father's Day, 10 a.m. Chelsea versus Aston Villa. I'll be watching. I, I, I suppose we know what you're asking for for Father's Day. Some peace and quiet. Is that what is that? Is that your request for Father's Day? Let me watch Every this year? match in peace. L- leave me alone. Really? Yeah. Do you really say that to your family? No, I'm just like, just mom. Mom can deal with y'all today. But I do, that's isn't what, that's the point my that wife. they I, want I, I, to dote on you? Oh, I mean, I, I'd like to be doted on, but I don't want to be bothered either. You only get one day. One day of the year. That's all you ever get as a dad. Take advantage. 
Borky, this is uh, this is your first Father's Day coming up. Yeah. Week from Sunday. Pretty big day, I guess, huh? Well, yeah. Yes. How, 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 how do you, you wish to be celebrated? Well, so my wife offered... Uh, By the way, you are the world's worst at having somebody celebrate you. I just don't like it. Uh, yes, well, I understand. Nobody on planet Earth is worse at that particular thing than you. It's not possible. Well, here's the thing, though. It, it comes from a place of, I think, decency. I mean, my family, I've got a sister with with a child and another one on the way, and they've recently moved, and she's just got a new job. And so, like, don't... My sister does not need to buy me anything. Like, you've got your own life and stuff to worry about. Just call me and say happy birthday. Don't do anything else for me. Like, worry about your own stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, we that, get it. What about yeah. Father's Day? How do you want to be celebrated? Your, your sister doesn't need to buy you anything on Father's Day. She's uh, not. You're not true. her father. Um, I haven't really decided yet. My wife said I should get out and go play golf all day, which... Uh, that's a so fine this is, idea. This is my first Father's Day, and so I don't really know how they're supposed to go, but aren't you supposed to like spend Father's Day with the thing that makes you a father? Like, I want to spend all day with my kids. With the thing, he said. <laughs> but, I spent my Father's Day last year in Omaha. That's a, well, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's a nice alternative. But she's like, well, go play golf, go do something. And I was like, well... Uh, you can do both, you know. I Let them spend... take you to dinner, go wherever you like to go eat, but also go play some golf. You know, it's about you. It's your one day. Take advantage of it. <laughs> I haven't decided yet, though. There you go. Ah, uh, do you guys see what, what about Joel you, DeWitt Richard? Said, what about me? What about your Father's Day? I don't know. Uh, we I've got plenty of time. Really? Yeah, I've I've never really been one for like I'm going to run off and go do my own thing on mm-hmm. on Father's Day. It felt selfish, which I guess that's the day technically you're supposed to be able to be selfish if you want be to. Be a little selfish. It's not going to kill you. Yeah. I don't know. So, next week's a big week it's for kinda... me. Monday is my anniversary. Thursday is my youngest daughter's birthday. And then Father's Day is on Sunday. A lot going on. Sounds like it could be an expensive week for the Hey Dad household. <laughs> it, 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 there'll be some money changing hands. Yeah. Yeah. What What your number on uh, in terms of anniversary? 18. Eighteen. We were a golf course. We'd be finishing up. Oh well. <laughs> Did you just say that out loud? <laughs> what? That's one of those that things mean, where it's uh, really not supposed button. to leave. Reaching for the dope button. Uh, couldn't get Forky. there in time. Seven second delay. Hurry. <laughs> She's not listening. Yes, but the sentiment is troubling, nonetheless. <laughs> I'm just saying, we can get to the clubhouse, have a drink. Oh, yeah. You're trying to dig yourself out there. Um, so that's on Monday of next week? Mm-hmm. You got, uh, you got something special planned? We're actually going to dinner not tomorrow your day, night. By the way. Yeah, we're going to dinner tomorrow night because there's nothing open on Monday. So, mm. okay. Our first three choices were not open on Monday, and I said, I'm not, we're not going to our fourth choice restaurant. Because it's open, so let's go somewhere Friday. So we're going. Am I tomorrow. am I allowed to ask what what you chose? You can guess. I bet. Uh, restaurant Tyler. No, we're going to Anthony's. We're going to West Point. Oh, okay. That's a great choice. Oh, I guess I, I was just it. thinking staying in Starkville. Restaurant Tyler would have been my first eh, choice. I mean, it's so a fifteen minute drive. Kind of, it's not even. It's yeah. Not even that far. It's not. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel like a different said, town. 
it's within the region. Anthony's is probably what I would have guessed. As well, you should. Yeah, that's a good, good, good spot. Good Love spot. It. Love it. Uh, I, I was going to point to this a second ago. I think we didn't uh, get to it yesterday. Did you hear what Bill DeWitt said? Do you know who Bill DeWitt Jr. is? Does that name not. ring a bell? No. He is the owner of Major League Baseball's St. Louis Cardinals. Okay. Here was his quote. Here was his quote. Major League Baseball. The industry isn't very profitable, to be quite honest. And I think players understand that. But they think, you know, the owners are hiding profits, and you know there's been a little bit of a distrust there. All right, let's... We probably should initially define what not very profitable is. (laughs) because most people in America would say made a million dollar profit last year not a bad year made 10 million dollar profit 50 million dollar profit that's a pretty good year how do they live man maybe it is less than making 100 million dollars in profit or 300 million dollars in profit but Profit, nonetheless. And my guess is it's profit that has two commas in it, even if it's not very profitable right now, to be quite honest. How did he acquire his money? Uh, Not sure what Bill DeWitt's background is. Should know that. Um... I don't know. We'll look it up in the break. He went to Yale and Harvard Business School. He's been with the Cardinals for a long time, apparently. Real man of the people. Real salt of the earth kind of guy, I can tell. Yeah. He's been, you know, a bunch of business ventures. Been Been in baseball for a long time. He's a baseball guy. In addition to being an incredibly wealthy owner. That would be number one. Number two, the whole hiding profits thing. If you're not hiding profits, and open up your books. But you are. And it's not... It's Okay, within the baseball operation, I mean, you're not hiding profits. But you know what the Ricketts family owns? Everything around Wrigley Field. There's a reason. Because those things generate profit. Google says this guy you know owns the, a similar thing around uh, the stadium there in St. Louis as well. You, you know the battery that they built around whatever the bank stadium is in Atlanta now? They've changed the name? True, what is it? True Truist. something? What? Truist. Truist That's what it is now. Used to be SunTrust. They didn't build all that stuff just for show. It's to make money. Second round of the MLB draft is underway. Ohio State, Tulane, high school, and high school for the first four picks. So Dylan Dingler went to Detroit with the first pick of the second round. Hudson Haskin out of Tulane with the, I'm sorry, first pick of the second round, second pick of the second round. So those were picks 38, 39, 40, 41. Keeping an eye out for uh, JT Ginn from uh, Mississippi State, who we anticipate will have his name called before too terribly long. To me, the only way that he doesn't get his name called in the next handful of picks kind of goes back to the the financial conversation that we were having earlier. Hey, Dad, 
there's a possibility, given that there's only five rounds in this draft, that in conversations with teams that are out there, he's put out a number that they're not willing to get to, and so they're not going to waste a pick based on signability. Right. So It's very it, possible he's, he's made his price known, and, and MLB teams won't be willing to meet that. And that, that, that is the best case scenario if you're a person who wants JT again back at Mississippi State next year, that he has stuck to a high signing price. And isn't going to come off of it. Yeah. And if he has done that, it would not be shocking to just not hear his name called, period, over the course of the right. three days. Because nobody's got a draft pick to throw away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't, you know, 40 round, a 40 pick draft. Sure. You could take a chance and, you know, figure out some things with your slot money. But with five picks, you know, no. You're going to. That's what everybody was talking about coming in, is that signability was the key to almost everything. And and so we'll see where that takes us. I think if you get, honestly, not even this, what are they on pick number 41, 42 right now? No, they're on like 43. Pick, They've had three straight pitchers come off the board with picks 40, 41, and 42. I think 50 is sort of a zone where if he's not gone by then, he, he might be coming back. And slot value for the 50th pick of the draft is $1.47 million. So if his rock solid number was two million dollars, and slot value is a million fifty, or a million and a half, they're yeah. half a million dollars apart. Most teams don't have that much wiggle room right. unless they right. want to pay over and pay the tax. Right. And if his number Which was bigger don't. than that, you don't want to pay right. that tax right. since, since baseball is not a profitable business. <laughs> you got to save every penny. Well played. Uh, Zach Deloach from Texas A&M just went 43, the uh, the outfielder. So we'll uh, we'll see where this thing goes on the uh, JT Ginn front. As he was projected as to be, you know, into the first round, beginning of the second round. We're now one, two, three, four, five, six picks into the second round, and uh, have not seen his name called. Hey Borky. So the back and forth. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Borky. Have you seen the? Uh trailer video for NBA 2K21. They just keep PS5. adding sweat to that game. It's so funny. Like they, well, you they, see who it is, right? Yeah, they made it look like Zion just got out of the shower. <laughs> <laughs> is he going to be the cover, I wonder? Yeah, pro- I mean, the, he's That's been doing cool. stuff with them for a while. It, so, so Richard, a, a new PlayStation console is about to come out, and you can either buy that or put a down payment on a house. <laughs> I'm just waiting on the price so I can try to convince my wife. There was a, a price that was leaked, a, a product placement that was accidentally put on Amazon, and it was almost $800. Hey! We're, that's close. That's real close yeah. to the limit. Uh, so that's you combining birthday and Christmas, I think. Yeah, I mean, hopefully... Are you a PlayStation guy, hey, Dad? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Or, or Xbox. So you are PlayStation. PlayStation. Yeah. So will you get a PlayStation 5? Well, we'll find out, won't we? I'll let you know December 26th. Do you want a PlayStation 5? Yes, Yes, I do. What will be different about it? Probably for me, because I'm not a big online gamer, probably just better quality graphics on the games I like to play. I mean, they're already pretty good, aren't they? They're already pretty good, but they can always be better. I was told there's a new uh, Batman Arkham game coming out. Uh, for, that's going to be PS5 exclusive, so that is enough to get me to buy, usually. In an average week, how much time would you say 
you spend playing video games? I'm really I, I'm interested to know this answer. 10 to 12 hours a week. I usually play a couple hours a day. Wait, you're serious? 10 yeah. to 12 hours a week? Yeah. Wow. Is I'm, that a lot? I mean, that seems like a... And it's a quarter of a work week. I, mean, I guess. I just okay. I have free time. I have the time in the mornings to do that kind of stuff. Not a lot okay. going on between you know the time I wake up and three. Borky, you're a video game guy, right? Yeah, um, I'm more of an online uh, FPS uh, kind of person, though. So uh, Warzone. Uh, I'm sorry, a what? Online first-person shooter. Um, so, whereas Hey Dad seems to like the open world stuff, I'm more of like the get online with the team and play against other teams. That's just kind of uh, my speed. And so I've been how playing much, a lot of Warzone lately. How much time on average, in an average week, would you say you spend playing a video game? Um, it varies. It varies on like a t- So right now with Warzone, probably five, six hours a week. Um, before Warzone came out, I wasn't at all. I mean, I was also dealing with a newborn and stuff. But um, and you have a job where they expect you to be at the office. In yeah, the I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm working. Yeah, I don't all have day. that. And part of that right now is, I mean, I just don't have anything to do during the evenings for the most part. You know, it used to be I had games to go cover. I, the weekends weren't free. Now I got nothing really going on. I'm, I'm not judging. It just seems like an inordinate amount of time. I mean, it's my hobby. It's one of my hobbies. You know, people who play golf. How much? How long does it take to play around a round of golf? If you play twice a week, are you getting close to ten hours? Yes. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, that's fair. I like it, man. I'm I'm glad I've stuck with it. I thought in my adult life I would wear thin on it, but no. Nah. After a long day, like frustrating day at work or whatever, um, get home and like hang out with my kid and put him to bed, and my wife goes to bed, and I'll sit <laughs> down and I'll start. Burning through bullets on people. Oh yeah, I'll just go play some Warzone, man. It's it's a nice uh, stress reliever. Yeah, Warzone new, Dead, right? And I, I play. Uh, that, that's relatively new. Yeah, it's it's fairly new. I would say a couple months uh, at most. Has it taken the place of Fortnite or? It, it's a different target audience. Um, Fortnite is has not died. It's still very popular, but it's not near anywhere close to the popularity it used to have. I mean that. That game was uh, quite simply a phenomenon that we've never seen before in in online video game play. It, just nothing like it. The the popularity and the amount of people that would watch was was just unbelievable. I mean, we're talking like 30, 40 million people would watch streams at a given time every day. It, it was it was unbelievable. Like a faction of society that we didn't know existed all because of of Fortnite. It's not like that anymore, and, and Warzone hasn't come close to being that popular. It's a lot better, yeah. though, to me. Fortnite was like a cultural thing. It, yeah. was, it was more than just a game. It was like every Re- locker room in America, Yeah, Fortnite was being rem- played. Yep. I remember when we were uh, in Oxford last year for baseball, and you, you, were, you were nice enough to take me through the uh, facility there, and we walked into one of the player areas, and they were in there playing Fortnite. You know, a couple hours yeah. before the game. That's what they're doing. Yeah. It's what I did grow. I mean, when we would have curfew, like especially in high school, 
uh, we would play Halo and Call of Duty, but like parents would say, hey, you have to be home by 11, and we'd get home on a Friday night at 11 and play Call of Duty or Halo until 5 in the morning. I mean, that's just what we did, and, and so it kind of stuck with me. I think that's a generational thing, too, because I you know, didn't have online games when I was a kid, so I just got used to playing against myself or you know, if I had a friend at the house or something, but like, I, don't, I don't know online game for the most part. Hey, uh, Borky, I'm, this is fascinating to me. All right, let's, I like uh, it. Let's, let's do another poll question, kind of an open-ended poll question, uh, two-part. Two do, do you play video games, yes or no? If yes, on average, how many hours a week do you pl- spend playing video games? Yeah. Just it's probably a little wordy yes, for a Put in the reply question. how many uh, hours yeah. you play. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. Yesterday's poll question, uh, Major League Soccer will be the first American sports league to return to play. Will you watch at least one second of it? Kind of a small vote total, 413 of you. 68% no. 32% yes. First reply was, wait, what about NASCAR? I had to correct it and say team sport. That's what I meant, because golf has obviously started today. But the first major American team sport... Uh, will be Major League Soccer. Now, there's a couple smaller leagues uh, that will also happen beforehand, but when you think of major American sports leagues, that's at the bottom, but it still is one, and they'll be the first one back. Uh, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, actually, we'll probably start this uh, when we come back so that we've got plenty of time, kind of like we did yesterday. The uh, We'll continue the exercise of questions for teams today we will focus on the sec western division what questions do you have for all seven teams in the west sports talk mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm ceasefire text line is open we'll be right back hey hey i'm doing all right yeah, I think I'm in terms of guys that are on the golf course right now in Fort Worth, Harold Varner III is one shot back, six under on his round through 17. Colin Morikawa, who was a rookie winner earlier this season, is six under through 14 holes. He is one shot back as well. Uh, Justin Thomas, who has won twice on tour this year, one of two guys to win twice on tour along with Brendan Todd. He is five under par through 14. Played uh, the front uh, to three under, and he's got a couple of birdies on the uh, the backside as well. So a bunch of guys still out on the golf course, but getting later into their rounds. Leader in the clubhouse is Justin Rose, who went out this morning and shot a seven under 63. And uh, Jonathan Vegas, uh, Abraham Answer, and let's see, those two guys I mentioned just a second ago, Varner and Morikawa, all at uh, six under par. Then a big group, including Borky's favorite, Bryson DeChambeau, at five under after firing a first round. 65, looking more like a heavyweight fighter than the skinny guy he was on tour just a year ago. He's beefy, man. And then released an 11-minute long montage of him doing workouts. It's the funniest video you've ever seen. Because it's meant to be like pump up and serious, and it's got music attached to it, and like his workouts are sped up and, and everything. It's comical. It, maybe he's just so self-aware that he did it for a parody, but I don't believe it because he's such a tool. Um, <laughs> watch it, though. 
He released it like, or it got released like right after he hit his first tee shot, which was like 350, by the way. He was hitting tank bombs all day, and after the round said he really can't unleash how uh, much power he's gained. So uh, it's worked for him. Uh, credit to him, but yeah. Uh, a few things about video games. Jeff and Grenada. My son went to his room when quarantine started and he wasn't shaving. He came out of his room today about 15 pounds lighter and shaving. I thought he had a friend over. <laughs> Plays Call of Duty about 16 hours a day. That can't be right. Oh man, those are the kids that smoke us when we play. Uh, Jason says, wait, what generation is Hey Dad? We went outside. The Nintendo stayed in the closet. We went outside, too. It, I picked it up after curfews started. Because, it, to Haydad's point, you guys, because Richard, you're uh, <clears throat> 40, um, didn't have the, the online... Which makes me like three years younger than Haydad. <laughs> but you guys didn't have like the online component. So we only right. did that because we got to get in a party with like 10 of our, our buddies that we were just with and like keep hanging out, even though we were in different places after curfew. Yeah. That's why when we did I got, that. When I got home from football practice, I would play video games. I went outside, too. Brett says a PS5 still costs you less than your average smartphone, and yes, I play up to 12 hours a week. There you go. Tim says if you're into video gaming and esports, you might want to check out uh, this stock to invest in. A little stock tip, ESPO, he says, ESPO. It's uh, up over 40% for the year. I actually, at the commercial break, went on Robin Hood and did exactly what he said. Got just one because, you know, I'm not money bags over here. But, yeah, I did that. Okay. Mr. West in Guntown says, I would love the PS5, say, November 20th, and 470 to 499 bucks. I don't know that is what it says. Okay. We'll see. That would be far more affordable than 800 yeah, and that, oh, those kind of things yeah, happen, but it was easily a, doable. It was a placeholder on Amazon that somebody potentially accidentally hit like activate on, and it was like seven hundred and sixty dollars or something like that. You think that was like a secondary market thing? Like somebody goes out and buys one at regular price and then jacks it up, and I guess that'd be more of an eBay thing than an Amazon thing, I suppose. Possibly. I mean, there the technology is so incredible now that this new system won't require discs anymore. You you won't have to go to a store, a brick and mortar, and buy a game anymore or wait for it to show up in the mail. Like, they, they won't have a slot in the system to put anything inside of it anymore. Yeah. That's how advanced we've gotten. Which is kind of like how computers are. So I just, because of some of the video streaming and whatnot that we're doing, I've had to order adapters for my computer. So I've got the... Uh, what, the USB-C, which is the small one for the smaller computer. There's no way to plug Ethernet in, so you got to get an adapter where you can do an Ethernet plug. And then on my Mac, there's no slot for Ethernet either. And so I got an adapter for Ethernet to USB. And guess what they sent with the adapter? A CD that had the driver on it. I don't have a slot for a CD or DVD in it either. I was like, okay, now i got to go find the driver somewhere and download it um, o online as well. But anyway, buddy of mine texts me, says that uh, his kid's Xbox does not have any sort of a slot, that it's all stored on the hard drive now. Oh, so, wow. Uh, progress in, uh, in technology. 
All right. Yesterday we started this exercise with the Eastern Division, thought we were going to go all the way through the SEC, decided it would be a better two-day activity, and it kind of started out as we were talking about media days, the fact that we're not having media days, but it was, okay, what's the one question you have about each team? It could be about the coach, it could be about the offense, it could be about the quarterback, it could be about the defense, it could be about anything. What's the one question that you would like to have answered about each team in the SEC. We walked through. I think Haydad's question about Florida yesterday was, can they take the next step? You know, the question about Georgia, can they win the big one? You know, Mark Stoops in Kentucky, my question for him, is this, as it has been rumored, the most talented team you have had at Kentucky? Haydad wanted to know if Kentucky could take the step from being Seven, eight, nine win team to legitimately competing in the East. We talked about Missouri and South Carolina and Tennessee, and I think we just kind of skipped over Vanderbilt. No disrespect intended. I believe so the now quote we go to was, the nah, nobody cares. Let's move on. What is the question that you have about the University of Alabama's football team? Are you really going to start a freshman over Mac Jones, who will likely win every game he starts this year? Wait, is there thought that that could happen? Yes. Oh yeah, I would be. So, I, that, my question is going to be sort of the opposite of that. It was going to be, when are you going to go to Bryce Young? Do you think this is like a Jake Fromm, Justin Fields type deal in terms of talent and upside? Because Mac Jones was pretty dang good when we saw him last. I, year. I don't know. He I don't was know. Exceptional if it's last year. I don't know if it's that because uh, you're talking about a, you know a senior Mac Jones versus a freshman. So even if you you have to redshirt Young, it's not like you're telling him he's going to be on the bench for a long time. With, as opposed to Fromm, who you knew was going to be the starter for you know at least another year. This is more of a Trevor Lawrence, Kelly Bryant thing to me. I just, look, if you want to point to the Iron Bowl and you go, well, Mac Jones threw two pick sixes in that game, that cost Alabama the game. Well, he also had like four touchdown passes and threw for 400 yards, so he's the biggest reason they were in the game in the first place. Right. So you, you kind of got to live with both. And there was a lot of arm talent there. And the, the, the stage was not too big. The scene was not too big. Prior to Tua, and, and that was obviously – at the end of the year, now nah, let me back up. Prior to Jalen Hurts, Nick Saban wasn't doing the "I'm running a freshman" thing out there. Right, but I think I, I, Bryce Young is changed. Mac yeah. Mac Jones is a really, really good quarterback, but Bryce Young is going to be a better one. And don't forget the bowl game. I mean, that wasn't Michigan wasn't the best team in college football by any stretch last year, but good defensively, good football team. Uh, looked he up the stats. Up. He only completed 16 passes for 327 yards and three touchdowns. 16 of 25. Game. No question about that. But again, I think this is a you've got a, a good, good quarterback, and then you've got a guy who could be a generational talent. That's what Bryce Young is. Those Iron Bowl stats for what they're worth uh, 26 of 39, that's 67%. 335, four touchdowns, but those two interceptions. Yeah, and both of them went to the house the other way. One was like a 99 or 100-yard 
return yeah. for touchdown. Lost by three. So, Whew. yeah. You can't really though. I mean, I, that's that's a good point, but I mean, I guess they scored enough points to win the game. Now, your defense has to get a stop at some point. I know you and, gave them 14, but And, and that would actually be my bigger question this year, right? So there's still weapons on the offensive side. Najee Harris is going to be back. You know, whether it's, um, you know, wh- whichever quarterback it is, offensively, there's enough talent. They're going to be good. My question is, is Alabama's defense going to look like an Alabama defense? Or is it going to look like what it looked like last year where – Frankly, they were not as fast, not as talented, banged up, and not as good. That's just being honest. They were still, you know, what, middle of the pack SEC, top third nationally. They weren't bad defensively. They just weren't what we have become accustomed to seeing under Nick Saban on that side of the ball. Will the defense be back to that standard? can't believe I just said that. <laughs> the standard. Take a time out. Sports Talk Mississippi. Be right back. All right, there it is. JT Ginn is off the board. Hey, Dad, we were talking earlier. You thought 50 might be about the cutoff. Well, 52 is where he ended up. Drafted by the New York Metropolitans. Slot value for the pick. At 52 is 1.4 million. JT again turned down a little more than 2 million out of high school. Two years at Mississippi State. 2019, he was about 5 to 1 in strikeout to walk ratio. What better than 100? Maybe a little better than that. What was it? 119, 100 and. Nah, just better than 100 strikeouts with 19 walks for the year. He was good. He was good. Go with that. Three pitch guy. Uh, Currently rehabbing from Tommy John. And I'll just be honest with you. I I was thinking back through our conversation earlier, and I was looking at the draft board, and I thought, well, he's probably going back to Mississippi State. C.J. Van Eyck from Florida State went in front of him. Uh, Some high school guys went in front of him. Chris McMahon from Miami. You saw him in the regional in Starkville last year. uh, Mm. Went in front. Christian Roa from Texas A&M went in front of him. And then you get uh, a guy from Dallas Baptist, and then it's finally JT Ginn. What do you do now? I mean, you're going to see what it, what they offer. Lean I guess. on your agent. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure he'd like to make a, a good signing, but at the same time, you know, he might, like you said earlier, might be thinking it's time to cash out and, and go ahead and, and you know make your way out. I mean, do the so, Mets we'll make this happens. pick without knowing? I don't. I don't see how Borky. Yeah, you got to figure I, they I have they have a good idea. But I also you know, believe, was, that knowing what I know of Ginn, that this will go over slot. That he's not he's not getting one point four. He's going to get more than that. Uh, the Mets yesterday, with the nineteenth pick of the first round, took uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, who was a high school kid out of California. Slot value for that pick was three point three six million. You talk about signability. It's possible that they made some sort of a deal with with him. Or they said, look, we know slots 336. 
will you sign for 2.7? We'll make you a first rounder. You'll have the guaranteed 2.7 million. And then that leaves them, you know, $600,000 to play around with their, their second pick, where the slot was 1.4. So you could potentially get a guy at 2.7 and then maybe get a guy at 2 million. I, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. But, Borky, I agree with what you're saying that it's hard to imagine you select a pitcher coming off of Tommy John in the second round with your second pick of the draft if you are not really, really confident you can sign him. I was convinced that he was just going to kind of go by, that we got so deep into the draft that it was going to be like, you know what, he's just going to go back. He, he told teams, this is my number, nobody decided they could get to it, and so they decided to move on. I was a little surprised when he popped up at 52. I think it's it's, a, it's value at that point. You know, This is a guy who, if he had it's stayed healthy this year. if you can sign him. If you can sign him, yeah. This is a guy who, if he had stayed healthy, was probably going to be a top half of the first round kind of guy. That's exactly and, what Kylie McDaniel from ESPN said a second ago. He said if he's healthy, he's a top 10 to 15 pick. Exactly, yeah. So, great value here. If you can sign him, you you just... That's 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 a fantastic pick. You know, the Mets of all people making making smart decisions in the front office. What's well, because J Lo might buy them. Yeah, I thought that wasn't happening. Oh, they're back in the uh, back in the running supposedly. The the whole A Rod J Lo thing is back to uh, possibly happening again. I saw a headline that that correct Mets for sale. Apparently, if A Rod and J Lo were potential buyers. Mm. Man, I guess everything's like for sale. You got, you know? like, you're thinking about making your own bid there, Richard? <laughs> well, no. But if... Look, I mean, you know I'm a Yankees fan, obviously. Right. But if I were a multi-billionaire that was looking to buy a baseball team, the Mets would certainly be an attractive team. Yeah. To be able to get a team in that market, even if it is the second team in the market... Absolutely. I mean, who wants to own the Marlins? I mean, Jeter obviously did. But you're in a baseball town. I mean, yeah. New York City is, a, I mean, yes, Giants and Jets and Rangers and, and Knicks and all that good stuff. I, I get it. But New York's still a baseball town, too. Like a big baseball town. And when the Mets are good, their fans are passionate. They're locked in. They feel that it's a great ballpark, beautiful ballpark. We're completely wasting time now arguing about whether or not I would buy the Mets. <laughs> Supposedly, yeah. uh, on May 10th, uh, they pulled out of the deal because their television network was not part of the sale. That has now since changed. And uh, as of May 29th, according to CBS... A-Rod and J-Lo are acquiring hundreds of millions of dollars of their own money to put in a bid to buy the team. It's a game changer if SNY is part of the deal. That's how you make big money on these teams, and that's how the values have gotten so crazy. College football fix coming up, then we will continue with our questions. We have made it through a grand total of one team in the West. That was Alabama. We'll be right back.
5 o'clock with you Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. C Spire text line is open. 601-879-4395. Bull, there's a lot of it in wireless, but C Spire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, period. Unlimited talk and text with 10 gigabytes of high-speed data, $45 per line with auto pay and paperless billing. If you go without auto pay, it's just $50 a month. How's that for the fine print? No bull. That's the real deal. Switch today at cspire.com slash real deal. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find the entire lineup of Ford vehicles. You can uh, go to your local Mississippi Ford dealer and they've got them in stock. They're hard to come by right now. The Expedition, fantastic vehicle, whether you get the regular Expedition or the Expedition Max that's got that third row and all the extra storage space in the back. And, of course, there's the F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive one today. We will return to the questions for each team in the SEC West. We got through Alabama. Uh, by the way, we got one on the C Spire text line that said, are you ever going to get a kicker? Reasonable. <laughs> Fair. Fair question. Reasonable question. But for now, 24-7 Sports talks about the blue chip ratio. Borky, this is one of your favorite things. It is an annual deal that we talk about, and I'll let you describe it. Uh, So basically what it is, is since the beginning of recruiting rankings, uh, no team has won a national championship without at least half of its roster being blue chip players, four- or five-star players 50% of the roster. It has never happened before. In fact, most teams that win championships are far above that 50% threshold. But the blue chip ratio is simple. The teams in college football that have recruited well enough to win a national championship, it is a foolproof formula up until this point and uh, pretty easy calculation as well. So it's pretty simple. You got to have more four-star and five-star guys on your roster than you have two-star and three-star guys. It is not a necessary, or it's a necessary but not sufficient condition. It does not guarantee you a national championship, but not meeting this condition almost certainly guarantees you will not win it all. And the data that is used, all scholarship signees count. Transfers and walk-ons do not. Transfers are not governed by the same recruiting rules, and so they are not included. And so teams going into this season that have at least 50% of their roster made up of four- and five-star players, once again, the University of Alabama leads the country. 83% of Alabama's roster is made of four-star and five-star players. Yeah, I mean, there are very few, but there are some people out there that have yet again written the, is the Nick Saban era done at Alabama, has the game passed him by kind of stuff. Not even close. No, (laughs) not even close. Here's what that means. 85 scholarship players, 70 and one-half of them are either four-star or five-star. Second in the country... 
not Ohio State, but rather Georgia. 82% of Kirby Smart's roster at the University of Georgia is made up of four- and five-star players. Ohio State is next at 80%. Not a huge drop-off there. So eight out of ten players extrapolated out however you want to. 64, 65, 66 players on Ohio State's roster are four or five star. Pretty significant drop off after Ohio State. So you got Bama at 83%, Georgia at 82%, Ohio State at 80%. And then you have one, two, three, four, five teams that are in the 60s. One of them might surprise you Texas, 64%, no surprise. LSU, 63%. No surprise. Same number for Oklahoma and Clemson, both at 63%. And then the program, the coach, that may be more than any other at the Power 5 level, at big-time programs, who has a reputation as being a developer rather than a recruiter, Florida. 63% of its roster is now made up of four- or five-star players. And two you of those... shake your head? Hey, Dad. Well, a there's a lot of that roster is still McElwain's, and B, uh, I mean they recruit four star players, but they're not recruiting the elite of the elite at Florida right now. There are only seven teams in the country that are recruiting at a better. That's that's fine, but not all four stars are are the same. And you got the four stars that are you know. The guys who are on the cusp of being five stars, and then you got the four stars that are on the cusp of being three stars. Florida gets a lot but, of the latter. But they have a roster oh, yeah. that gives them a chance to win a national championship. I'm not I'm not arguing that. I'm just arguing that they don't have a roster that gives them a good chance to beat Georgia and Alabama. Borky, what were you gonna say? Oh, it just two of those classes uh, that made up this uh one of which was his transition class, which was number 17, and then uh, previous staff. So when you consider what the end – McIlwain recruited well enough, but the end of McIlwain and then a transition year and then two top ten classes. They're on the come. I think. Yeah, well, we'll see. I think so, too. I I, I really expect Georgia to run the table in the East, but – Florida could possibly be at worst 11 and 1. I mean they're they are potentially that good. Michigan 59%. Auburn 59%. Penn State 59%. Notre Dame 56%. And then two teams at 50% of their roster as four or five star players. Southern Cal and Texas A&M. I would anticipate that one year from right now, Texas A&M makes a jump from 50% up to about where Texas and LSU are at 64 65%. They, recruiting, yeah. they better. I mean, especially with what oil prices are looking like. I don't know if that buyout's <laughs> very attractive. But So if I, looking at this list right now, so these are the teams that based on exclusively based on history can win a national championship. If I told you right now – to eliminate teams that have a 0% chance of winning the national championship. Are there any on this list? 
Zero Zero. percent. Like, it will not happen no matter what. Not a, well, it could. It's not happening. This team is not winning a national championship. How many would you eliminate? Four. I would eliminate Michigan, Auburn, USC, and A&M. I would eliminate more than that. I mean, we're talking zero percent. Zero. Yes, like it will not happen. There's no scenario where they're winning. Not there's a there. You can give me a one percent for Penn State and Notre Dame. I'm not giving you one percent on those two. All right, well that's 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 on you then. Now I'll give you one percent on Penn State. A and M no, Notre Dame no, Auburn no, Michigan no. Really, Texas is a, probably a no too, but I could see a scenario where they where they they can get into the playoff and then figure it out. Man, Penn State actually. So they have a sneaky game that not a single person has mentioned that I've heard uh, at Virginia Tech week two. How about that? That's a good game. Aside from that, they go to Michigan, which is not easy, but they host likely their two toughest teams on their schedule: Iowa and Ohio State. They have to go to Nebraska, which we'll see. If you look at their schedule, though, I, I mean, it, the 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 opportunity is there for them. I think like the bigger question here is, who's the worst team in this group? Who's the who's the biggest un, underachiever this year? You know who I'm going to pick. Who do you guys pick? <laughs> you're, you're picking Auburn, right? Auburn. They're going to lose four games. Texas A&M's uh, schedule does not allow them to lose that many games. You're, you're probably right. USC is probably a good choice. I don't know. I think USC probably goes 10-2 and two this year. Okay. I mean, assuming Slovic stays healthy. They have to go to Oregon and Utah. Southern Cal does. I, I'm going to say LSU takes a step back. It's only a temporary step back. They won a national championship. They're going to reload. But I don't think they're going 10-2 and two this year. I think LSU probably goes 9-3, and three, possibly 8-4. and four. We'll see. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Three schools in the country have... Three draft picks out of the first 60. Texas A&M, University of Miami, and Mississippi State. And by the way, Mississippi State actually has a fourth. It was a commitment, just not already part of the program. Three more have two picks in the first 60. Arizona State, Louisville, and here's one you might not would have expected. Tennessee. With Garrett Crochet and Alaric Soler being taken in the first 60 picks. I will give Major League Baseball this. They play zero games in terms of moving things along <laughs> when it comes to the draft. It took an hour and 15 minutes to get through the second round. Now that they've shortened it, though, shouldn't they have uh, tried to spread it out a little bit? 
You don't have to get to 40 rounds anymore. Was I the last personal nurse, by the way, that knew that Garrett Crochet was from uh, Ocean Springs? Uh, I mean, I could not have told you that off the top of my head. There, How did he get out of this state? A, there would have been a point somewhere along the way where I knew that. How, how did State and Ole Miss both miss on this guy? Yeah. Different world down there on the coast, man. <laughs> if he had gone to LSU, I would agree with you. He went to Tennessee. Got a head coach living in an apartment downtown, driving a Maserati, Tony Vitello. Yeah. That's right. He's got cool. All right, so uh, there were we had different questions about Alabama. Both of you asked the question pertaining to quarterback. I asked it pertaining to defense. There was a, uh, a question as well about whether or not Alabama would ever have a kicker. You got questions about teams in the West? Fire them off to us on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Tony and Clara says, if Auburn played in any other conference, would they win it? Conference they're talking about. The Big Ten. The Big 12. Pac-12. Yeah, I'd probably pick Auburn to win the Pac-12. Pac-12, yeah. I don't. I would not pick them over Ohio State or Oklahoma. Nope. Or Texas. I think Texas has a chance to be really good. Auburn, Texas could be. A, I could go either way with that one. Yeah. It, the the difference between the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC and even the Pac-12. I mean, Oregon was a good football team last year. Utah was good. Um, I'm not going to argue with you and say that they were as good as Ohio State or whatever. But it, it's not the top. The top of the Big Ten is very, very good. Wisconsin's always good. Ohio State's elite. Clemson's elite in the ACC. Florida State will be there soon if they're not already. It's the middle programs. The the Big Ten does not have an Auburn. They don't have a Texas A&M. They don't have even a Kentucky. It's a significant drop-off from Ohio State and Wisconsin and Penn State and Michigan it falls pretty quickly. They, they don't have the middle of the conference. The ACC definitely does not. There's your difference. It's not the top. It's the middle. I agree with that. I do. Arkansas is next up alphabetically after Alabama. What question do you have about Arkansas football? Can you the prove me American- wrong? <laughs> Could the average American pick your head coach out of a lineup of two? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No. No, sir. Can you prove people wrong, though? Because we talked about it a good bit um, after Joe Moorhead was fired at Mississippi State that on paper that was a good hire. It just didn't work out. But on paper it made sense. Hot shot offensive coordinator, worked at big programs before, innovative offense, people like him, it just didn't work here. On paper, it's an atrocious hire. So can can you prove everybody wrong? Can you prove the paper wrong and say Sam Pittman was the guy at the right time when we probably had better options and we chose to go with him instead? It's a fair question. Mine is whether or not and and I don't even know if you have to be able to answer this question this year. You certainly have to be able to answer it next year. And, and, and so maybe I need to amend it. Can you show incremental improvement? Because Arkansas, from Brett Bielema to Chad Morris, did not show one ounce of improvement. None. Nowhere on the field 
did you show even a glimmer of hope that things are trending in the right direction? I don't expect Arkansas to be a very good football team. I think they probably go 3-9, and 4-8 and is probably best-case scenario. But a 4-8 and eight team can at times show you something. And maybe this isn't the year to have that question be relevant. So maybe the more relevant question is, will this football team buy in to Sam Pittman and the staff that he's put together? Because I think if the answer to that question is yes, then the answer to the first question could very well be yes also. If this particular team buys into what Sam Pittman is selling as their head coach, and that really good staff that he has put together is teaching and selling, then you may see some bright spots along the way. The roster and the style are not going to allow for a lot of wins this year at Arkansas. But can you just see not even a light at the end of the tunnel, but can you see a flicker? Can you see a glimmer? Can you have some reason to be excited or optimistic about the future? That's what I want to know about Arkansas. Very what is your question? Did I cut anybody off? We all good? No, it's a very fair question. What's your question about Auburn? I'm sure Hey Dads is about moving companies. <laughs> no, it's, it's just... <laughs> Gus Do you think your anywhere. fourth loss will come in November or when? Uh, will Bo Nix take the next step? And, and mostly these questions are about quarterbacks, of course, but I mean, I think they have a roster, as we talked about with the blue chip ratio, that's good enough to win. And he was better towards the end of last year. And, I mean, you saw some improvement, but if he takes another step forward, you have a roster that can... You're not winning the SEC West this year, probably not, but you have a roster that can compete for it if you get really good quarterback play paired with a, what should be a really talented roster. So they're going to live and die, I think, as their quarterback does, and if he takes the next step, it's a good football team, potentially. My, I got two. My question is, is it's sort of like Richard from Alabama's. You know, They lose so much defensively. How, how do they bounce back there? Because the defense was the reason they won most of the games they won last year. I, I got two, and they're both related to wins and losses. Can you beat the best quarterback you're going to face this year in Week 2? Sam Howell's the best quarterback Auburn's going to face this year. They're going to face him in Week 2. Ooh, that's a, now, that's I mean, a hot one right there. That's a hot take. Ooh, I like it. Who's got a better quarterback than the, that they're going to face in Week 2? Uh, Bryce Jamie Young Newman? could be Newman, Costello. So my question is, can you beat the team that has the best quarterback you're going to face this year in week two? That's question number one. And question number two is, can you beat one of the three teams that your fans care the most about winning? Can you beat Georgia or LSU or Alabama? I mean, they beat Alabama last year. Surely they, they did. Surely they can beat LSU. Of course, if they Maybe. don't, they go zero and three in those games, and they they find a way to lose another one. Well, there 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 you go. There there's your eight and four. Yeah. 
What's your question about LSU, the reigning national champions? You know, we, we know we sort of know who's going to replace, or at least who's going to get the first crack at replacing Joe Burrow. Who's replacing Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Who's giving you that production this year? I'm not going down that road because I've asked that question before about LSU running backs, and it just never <laughs> oh, really they always seems got to one, be an yeah. issue. But do they have a guy who can give them the same thing in the passing game that Edwards-Hilaire gave them? I don't know. Play calling. Because as excellent as Joe Burrow was last year, and it's probably really easy to call plays when you've got a quarterback that's as deadly accurate as he was, Uh, but will you be as creative and innovative this year without what is considered one of the brightest young minds in the sport? That was the difference between LSU two years ago and last year. Burrow... If you really look at LSU two years ago, Burrow showed you talent. He showed you ability, but they just weren't near as creative and didn't put him in the kind of positions to succeed. Yes, they had a bunch of talent around him this past season, but he was still Joe Burrow two years ago. The difference was Joe Brady. You can do without True or false? True or false? We will know all we need to know about what LSU is going to be after week two when they host Texas. I say false because we didn't know they were going to be that dominant after they beat Texas last year. Give me till October Sports 10th. Talk Mississippi. You know, okay. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Remember yesterday, Jim Gallagher Jr. told us that some of the guys in the PGA, yeah, there's going to be some rust. And I guess, I mean, maybe if they had been playing every week, the scores would have been better. Justin Rose shoots a 7-under 63. Harold Varner III, tied for first, shoots a 7-under 63. You had, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4... 64s. Jonathan Vegas, Abraham Anser, Colin Morikawa, second year on tour. Justin Thomas just plays a beautiful, effortless round of golf. Goes out in 32, comes in in 32, shoots 64 with six birdies and no bogeys. DeChambeau's 5-under, Gary Woodland's 5-under. How about this round for Jordan Spieth? He bogeyed the first hole, chunked a chip from behind the green, Nearly chipped in, had to put it in for a, a bogey six on the par five first. He made birdie on six, and so he made the turn at 35, even par. On the back, he birdied 10, 11, 12, 15, and 17 to shoot five under 65. Borky, that sounds... No, it doesn't. I started to say it sounds like you on the back nine, but not really. <laughs> not so much, no. I haven't played... Um... I don't think I've played since then either. The whole baby thing's kind of taken golf away since temporarily. Uh, since we played at Old Waverly. Oh, really? I think that might be it. No, there was one scramble that I played that in that we just... Right out of year. That we just drank beer and messed around on. But uh, last time I actually kind of tried was then, I, I believe. But it's funny, we talked about the match and how Dustin Johnson said that he didn't really play much and hadn't cared to. He shot one over today. Imagine that. Yeah. 74 players in red numbers. 74 of the 148 in the field. 
And even par or better, 98 of the 148. I always like looking to see who's in dead last. Uh, Scott Harrington, Sam Ryder, Lanto Griffin, and David Frost all shot six over. What's Frosty doing playing in this tournament? Hmm. He's a Champions Tour guy. Remember when we talked to David Frost a few years ago, Borky? I do. And in Biloxi? He's talking about his vineyards? He's a wine guy. Interviewing golfers is slightly different than the football players you interview post-game, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit different. A little bit different. All right, so continuing our questions. We have made it in the West through Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, and LSU. Let's skip the two in-state teams quickly, and then we'll circle back. Texas A&M, alphabetically the last team in the West. What is your question about the fight in Texas Aggies? Kind of being flippant, but what will the excuse be? Because there is no reason whatsoever on November 21st when they're in Tuscaloosa for them to be out of the race for the SEC West. But something tells me they're going to be. Things have been weird when Texas A&M plays Auburn. Like, Auburn's kind of had their number. If chalk holds, they will be 6-0 and going into a game at Auburn that is a huge game on the schedule for the Aggies. In fact, they've got back-to-back road games at Auburn and at South Carolina, then an open date before Ole Miss and Vandy before they head to <laughs> a bit of a murderer's row with Alabama and LSU in consecutive weeks. Oh, don't forget about Vanderbilt, though. No, I said, I said Ole Miss. <laughs> All right, so, so how about this? How about this? Texas A&M plays a combination of Alabama and Vanderbilt in back-to-back weeks. So does Ole Miss. So does Mississippi State. So does Arkansas. Does anybody else do that? No. Nope. State doesn't play Vanderbilt. No, Alabama and LSU in back-to-back weeks. Okay, I was about to say. You, you so, said Alabama combination Vanderbilt. Of, yeah. yeah, you said Vanderbilt. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I meant Alabama and LSU. My bad. Some combination of Alabama and LSU in consecutive weeks. A&M to finish the season. Ole Miss in weeks four and five. Mississippi State in weeks seven and eight. Arkansas does it in weeks six and seven. Hmm. Hmm. And yet Alabama gets Georgia State before their toughest game and a bye week before their second toughest game. Hmm. I was going to say, what's Alabama's toughest consecutive games? A&M and Auburn to finish the year? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they get a bye before LSU. Uh, and then, yeah, no, that's it. Mm-hmm. LSU's toughest stretch of consecutive games is... Auburn and Texas A&M to close the year? Yep. Mm-hmm. Huh. Meanwhile, Mississippi State has a stretch where they play Texas A&M, Open Date, Alabama, LSU, Auburn. I'm sure that is just coincidental. Ole Miss has a stretch where they play Auburn at LSU and then Alabama. 
Oh, also, just purely coincidental. I, I'm not. Boy, I feel pretty good about State's chances if they go four and zero in that stretch. I tell you, <laughs> they get they could easily get to a bowl game. Build the Mike the Rebels win all three of those. <laughs> things you're looking up. <laughs> they could be a dark horse, like the Outback Bowl or something. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. So my question for A and M would would be about Kellen Mond. Well, why am I supposed to believe he can be a championship quarterback? I'm not super down on Kellen Mond. I think he's a good quarterback, but I don't see him leading a team to the SEC championship game. I feel like A and M has taken a step forward in this in two years under Jimbo, but it's still not what I want to see. To believe in them, my question is Texas A and M. Is it in your DNA to be nasty? If you ever get nasty to go along with your talent, look out. I've always been soft, nice, talented, but just nice. That's always been my criticism of Texas A&M. If you ever get nasty... Whew, look out. I feel like we've probably talked about these things for Mississippi State and for Ole Miss, but let's do it. Let's let's complete the exercise. What is your question about Mississippi State? Receivers, receivers, receivers. Who is catching the football for Mississippi State? Okay. Borky? Does it work here? And that's the million-dollar question, but that's been the question about Mike Leach since he started at Texas Tech, right? Is It's a little different in the Big 12. Defenses aren't as good. A little bit different in the Pac-12. Defenses aren't as good. Does it work here in the SEC? And in today's SEC, we can't look back at what he did right, at Kentucky yeah. in, the, in the 90s. It's a different different kind of thing now. Will the defense stop anybody? Yeah. Is that a fair question? They were not good defensively a season ago, but of course, you know, I think their four best players were also, or three best players were suspended for most of the season. Uh, but, you know, those guys, and only one of those guys is back. So we'll see. But, but, but here's the reason I asked that. I mean, if, if Mike Leach's offense is even just okay. Not like great or you know record setting. If they're Just okay, top, top half of the SEC, then they're going to put some points on the board, right? But outside of the year that Alex Grinch was the defensive coordinator at Washington State, you don't really look at Mike Leach's teams and go, "Man, that defense is going to scare you." There you go. Oh wow, they won. 56 to 48. I'm not sure that the offense in year one is going to be ready to win games 56 to 48. Right. They scored 38. Scored 32. But are you going to be able to keep the opponent when you are throwing it 60 times a game, 50 times a game, and you inevitably have some three and outs? and you give some short fields to the opponent, 
and they cash in, are you going to be able to stop, come up with stops? A little bit different angle on a question than what you might expect. We'll ask the question for Ole Miss when we come back as well. We have worked our way through the East. We have worked our way through the West. The final team, Ole Miss. One question that you have for the 2020 Ole Miss football team as we're now, what, about 84, 85 days away from the start of the season? Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. Can you overcome the lost offseason? Because I think... If everything would have been normal, they would have had a chance with the schedule and, and returning offensive talent anyway uh, to be a team that goes to a bowl game, which I think everybody would view as a success in year one, all things considered. But now you didn't have a spring to figure out your quarterback or at least have a better understanding of what you have at that position and maybe even have a leader going into the summer. You didn't have this whole off season to get Wilson Love in with your players and uh, build them the way you want them to be built. You haven't had a chance to really install your system or work with your players at all. Can you overcome all of those question marks? Because if so, I think it's a bowl team. But if they're still too far set back, that might be the difference between going to a bowl in year one and not, if it's uh, just not overcomable. I want to know if they're going to be better defensively. I got sort of the same question Richard had for Mississippi State. I mean, they, they haven't been good defensively in years now. It's you know, four years. It's been uh, a minute. <laughs> it's been a little while. So You know what the funny are, thing about that is? The last time they were good defensively, they were actually really good defensively. It was well, not 14, like a they were stri- the, the top scoring defense in the country, right? Yeah. 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 Since then well, ha- eh, not so much. I mean in fifteen they weren't bad defensively. I mean they just they weren't as good, but they weren't bad. But What's crazy now? is last year, Mike McIntyre was a miracle worker because of how much better they were, and in the the scale of everything, still weren't good. Right. So we'll see. You know, I mean, from what I don't know the Ole Miss depth chart off the top of my head, but I mean, are there are there is there talent there? Are there guys that you feel can be first, second, third round draft choices? Hmm. Well, if you're having to think, Richard, it's not probably need another year or two to build things up from a recruiting standpoint. There's a couple linebackers that could play. I I like Sonogo. He's good. Sonogo's an NFL player. Is he going to be healthy? I think so. I mean, whether or not he stays healthy or not, but I mean, yeah, in terms of recovering from that injury from a year ago, yeah, it's an edge rusher that could play in the next level. Sam Hmm. Williams. I think he's a good player. Mm-hmm. He's a good player. Some young talent in the secondary. To me, the question on the defensive side, though, is on the defensive line. I mean, it just there's no depth there. Chuck Wiley in, enters the transfer portal, uh, and that's and, and I think successful or, or not successful. The best defenses start with solid play up front. Yeah, and on, on the defensive side. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, Could have gotten a nose tackle and a cornerback in the portal. Maybe we'd be doing something, but I guess I just, they weren't in there. It's so cliche, forgive me. I'd like to know who's going to play quarterback. And beyond that, what's the development of that position going to look like? Beyond just who's going to take the first snap, who's going to be the starter, 
Are, are you going to feel good about that position? It's the leader of your team. As your quarterback goes, generally speaking, you go not as much in college football as in the NFL. You better have a dude at quarterback, though. And if it's John Rice Plumley that earns that spot and can throw it a little bit better, they're going to be fun. They will be fun to. If John Rice Plumley shows improvement throwing the football and becomes a starter, that will be a fun offense to watch. If Matt Corral wins the job and becomes more consistent as a passer, then it could be fun to oh, watch. Hey. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.